Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Megla Bhardwaj, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Jason Tay. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I wanted uh, to have you as the guest on the very first episode of this podcast, Jason, because um, you know, you're one of the most successful sellers in Singapore on Amazon. You've been um, associated with My Silent Team, and you're also the first ever Singapore seller to be featured in Amazon's uh, Seller Success Story series. So that's pretty amazing. And over the last couple of years, we've met a couple of times, and I have a lot of respect for you and the way that you teach and the way that you share your knowledge with other sellers. So, um, you know, another reason I wanted to have you on is because I want our listeners, uh, the listeners of this podcast, to aspire to be like you. I want them to hear your success story and to know that it is possible to be successful mm -hmm. as an e-commerce seller. So we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, some tips and advice uh, for new sellers. But before we go into all of that, why don't you tell us your story? Now, you were a teacher and your yep. wife was a lawyer before you started selling online. So mm -hmm. how did you start selling online and when, when did you start? Right. Uh, well, I started selling online end of 2013, but the story begins about four or five years before that. Uh, I was in teaching and then I resigned and I was doing relief work, helping with rebuilding in Sri Lanka for a year after the Asian tsunami. Uh, and subsequently, so I went into the nonprofit sector, I do a lot of events. So organizing stuff at like Singapore Expo or at indoor stadium or at hotel ballrooms kind of thing. And because I was essentially the person in charge of organizing the events, uh, I was always at these venues like overnight or long hours um, before every um, kind of thing. And then one day my wife comes to me and she says, uh, our daughter asked why daddy is never home for dinner. Aww. So that was like, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, and long story short, uh, at, in, at the end of 2011, mm -hmm. uh, I resigned in, from my uh, salary position in order to try to do something different. Uh, during that, the two years before I started selling on Amazon, I tried doing a few things. So like built some affiliate websites. Uh, they made a bit of money, but uh, maybe just enough to pay the utility bills kind of thing. And then subsequently, I also, uh, act, me and my wife, actually we both resigned. Uh, so we then thought of maybe opening a Subway outlet. Mm. So we applied to be franchisees. And again, uh, long story short, essentially if you want to open a, a an outlet like that as a franchisee, I would estimate um, the ballpark would be about $400,000 to get started with one outlet because there's the franchisee fee of uh, approximately a quarter of a million dollars. And then, of course, in Singapore, you have to pay, go find a place to rent. Mm. So you have that crazy rental overhead. And a skeleton crew would be maybe hire five or six staff. So three staff working two shifts for a typical subway outlet. Uh, so with those rental costs and staff um, salary overheads, yep, you're probably looking at half, close to half a million if you wanted to open an outlet. Uh, and then one day uh, in September 2013, I actually started seeing some uh, 
e- I got some emails uh, from the amazing selling machine. Hmm. Some of you would have um, heard of that or seen those. And the videos were very good, very slick. Uh, and it made sense like, oh, buy stuff uh, in bulk at um, X cost. And then you can sell it on Amazon in the US at a higher, co- a higher selling price. And then you, of course, uh, the, the, the margin is your profit. So I thought, oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and so I started exploring that. Uh, I didn't sign up for the course in the end because it cost like 4,000 US. At that time, I had been jobless, remember, for two years. <laughs> and I didn't want to uh, spend money unnecessarily. And I wasn't sure whether it would work. Mm. Uh, so I set myself a, uh, what happened then was I actually just, at that time there was um, something called the proven Amazon course as well. So as I Google and compared the two and like, oh, this one is like 20 times cheaper with a lifetime money back guarantee. So, okay, maybe I'll just try that and look through the content. Uh, essentially what I did was I bought the proven Amazon course, which is a self-directed like online learning library kind of thing. Um, October. 2013 on no then I within three weeks I sent in my first couple of uh, products to Amazon and I remember on the 19th of November uh, 2013 I got my first email from Amazon to say that uh, I had made my first sale wow so did you do uh, OA when you initially started uh, actually those two products were sort of I bought from a third-party wholesale website like a wholesale directory. Okay. Uh, what happened was um, because of the amazing selling machine, I thought of sourcing from China. Mm. Um, and then I started realizing, okay, there's uh, some of these, depending on the product, there would be different compliance issues, customs regulations. And then I'm like, okay, I don't understand anything about international shipping at all. Because like, I have no, I had no background in any of these things. It's uh, so like, what is this? What's EXW? What's FOB? What customs declaration? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, so I thought maybe I'll just source in the US and then I can bypass all these shipping and uh, customs um, red tape. And so actually that's what I did. I bought online from a US wholesale site. A couple of things I, I can share them. Uh, one was a set of steak knives and the other was a uh, chopping or cutting boards probably made in Malaysia. (laughs) Uh, So uh, what happened was the steak knives actually sold pretty well. I ordered one carton of each uh, and then the chopping boards didn't sell at all. It took me more than two years to clear the stock (laughs) of 25 chopping boards. Uh, I always tell people that was a blessing in disguise because of the contrasting um, performance or sales of the two products, it forced me to sit back and analyze why did I create new listings for both, but why did sales work for one, but not for the other? And I think that was essential in laying a foundation, uh, which has helped me then to understand how things work and on Amazon. Uh, and therefore be able to build on that. Interesting. So, so yeah, uh, let me finish that story. Yeah. So my daughter said, why is daddy never home for dinner? Right? Fast forward uh, four years, into five years into 2014, 
So now, like you, uh, <laughs> my work is essentially on my MacBook and I sit at my dining table. <laughs> That's my office. <laughs> so uh, sometime in 2014, my daughter, who is 12, 11 or 12 by that time, she comes up to me and she says, uh, Daddy, how come you don't have a regular job like other parents? Why are you like always sitting at home? <laughs> uh, and part of that, so woo, that was a that that one uh, um, job zero uh, kind of thing. But uh, what had happened by that point, um, we bought a mini because I had the flexibility of time. So me and my wife, uh, with our e-commerce business, we actually bought a twelve got a twelve seater mini bus. Hmm. And my daughter was in the school netball team. And so we ended up becoming the teams of like unofficial drivers. The school would just call us up whenever they had a match or training tournament, whatever. Uh, And then uh, Jason would show up as the team bus driver. And I got to hang out with all my daughter's friends, go to all their uh, matches, something that no other parent could do. So I think that's priceless. Totally. And and I can relate to that really well now because I've started working from home recently and I can drop my son to school and pick him up from school. So yeah, it's it's just truly um, you know, um yeah, very enjoyable. <laughs> so Fantastic. the products that you sell currently, I think you've got a very innovative product line as well. So you sell handmade natural soaps, right? Uh-huh. So how did you come up with that idea and you know, where do you source your products from currently? Sure. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the various products that uh, we sell. Mm. And how we came up with that idea was, uh, well, for me, the foundation of all good business is to serve others well. Mm. And so I started, I realized that, whoa, uh, for example, in Singapore, uh, more than 21% of people have eczema. Mm. So that's more than one in five. So I always say, if you don't have eczema, you definitely know someone who does. Uh, And medically, there's no cure. Uh, So I started doing research and, you know, every medical study that's ever been done, I think in the world is available free online, the US National Medical Library or whatever website. Uh, so I started uh, researching like in TCM, in Ayurvedic medicine, uh, in um, traditional cultures like Native America. Uh, what did they use for like skin issues since modern medicine has no cure for eczema? Uh, and then I discovered, oh, there are several ingredients that keep coming up. And in many medical studies, they prove to be very effective in uh, helping to treat or as to natural remedies for skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, etc. Uh, and so then I thought, okay, can I get someone to put all these ingredients together into a convenient thing that people can use daily uh, without having to resort to steroids? And uh, I, uh, of course, with skincare, I guess I didn't want to make it in China. <laughs> Just like I always tell people, if you want to pr- do a private label, uh, baby milk brand, then don't make it in China. Yeah. <laughs> uh, China is good for other types of types of products. Correct. But anyway, I wrote to twenty uh, companies in the US essentially, 
uh, that do uh, broad, uh, OEM skincare. Out of the 20, I think about four or five replied. And then out of the four or five, I narrowed it down to one because uh, I was most comfortable with them and our price point was okay. And I always tell people, and they were willing to start with an initial order of 10. <laughs> yeah. uh, so... I got my first sample, I uh, got it, brought it back to Singapore, uh, passed it to a friend who has eczema. Uh, she tried it three days. I said, stop using the steroids and the, the whatever UV Cetaphil, something that your doctor asks you to use, your specialist. Uh, uh, would you be willing to just try this? And I said, okay, sure. Anyway, the doctor stuff is not helped for the last 10 years or whatever. <laughs> uh, so she used it. And three days later, she comes back to my house. It was Christmas party kind of thing. And she said, Jason, look, I only used your soap and my eczema is 80% better. Ooh. I stopped using all the doctor stuff and I only used your soap. Uh, since then, that's become one of our flagship sort of products. And uh, yeah, now we have a brand so that's sold on Amazon. Uh, it's sold in Singapore as well. We have some... Uh, yeah, I think a, a bit of our soap is also sold in Indonesia. Okay, yep. interesting. So, you know, you've, you work with a lot of um, new Amazon sellers, right? You have your own coaching and all. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making when they start selling online or when they start selling on Amazon? The, the biggest mistake I think people make is not, knowing what they're doing and thinking that if you list it, it will sell. Mm. Uh, I'll give maybe just one example. Like, um, well, actually this example, I've met literally, well, many people who come to me after they've spent like thousands of dollars, anywhere from like two to 20 or 30,000, well, over $30,000 on product, they have no clue whether it will work. They just think like, I have a great product idea or somebody told me to buy this product. Like somebody told you to buy some stock or share and then you just go buy it. And then they come and says, hi, Jason, we have 20,000 of this product. Uh, can you show me how to sell on Amazon? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, okay, let's check out your product. How much did it cost? Oh, $10 per unit. And then we go onto Amazon and like, oh, look, this product actually sells for ten dollars. That's the market wow. price. So then, what? Then they'll say, "What do we do then?" Because we already paid the manufacturer; it's already completed on the factory floor. I said, "Wow! If you try to sell this product, every sale is going to result in a loss because you're going to have to pay all the ship. You're going to have to ship this product, let's say, from China to the states, and then every sale, let's say." I mean, realistically, you're not going to be able to price this more than much more than a market price. Uh, but after you deduct the Amazon fees, you have to count the costs. Uh, you're just going to end up making a loss with every sale. And so then in those cases, uh, sometimes the best thing to do is cut your losses and just accept that, okay, the $5,000 on inventory is, I just take that as an expensive lesson. <laughs> Uh, the other, and what causes that I think the biggest hindrance, particularly for people from, I think, developed countries like Singapore or who grew up in a post-industrial, I call, education system, 
is that the education system in countries like Singapore, the US, Australia even, uh, is designed to produce minions uh, for the job market. Mm. And to produce minions or employees, it requires you to not really be a thinking person, not to think like a business owner or as an independent um, boss kind of thing. And so a lot of people uh, that I meet don't have that, um, that ability to think on their feet or the desire to want to understand how things work. And in order to do this well, I think requires that um, a mindset shift where people realize that, oh, I need to start to think and act like a business owner, not as an employee looking for a formula, like tell me what to do and then I will follow those instructions. Because in real life and in real business, there's no fixed formula. There are some guidelines, some strategies that work. But every case uh, is different. Every context, every situation, every product is different and you need to be able to learn to adapt to that context. Correct. In fact, um, yeah, I mean, most people I think who will start an e-commerce business, they will either fail or, you know, lose money. And, um, you know, many times people think that this is a get rich quick scheme and uh, it's going to be very easy, but they don't realize that it requires a lot of hard work and, um, you know, a lot of patience. So, you know, in your experience, what does it take to succeed in e-commerce and who are the people who are more likely to succeed? I think first thing is to treat it like a real business or as a real business rather. Uh, Don't think of it like you say as a get rich quick scheme or passive income uh, kind of thing. Uh, When I first started out, I probably spent upwards of 16 hours every day Mm. researching products. Uh, Now it's much easier for me like, in two hours, I literally can come up with 20 product ideas. Uh, It's because, well, I've sort of refined the process and um, because of experience as well. Uh, But um, if you treat it like, oh, this is going to be an easy thing for some uh, side income or I can, uh, it's it's an easy way to become a millionaire kind of uh, mentality, then I think you are going to set yourself up for failure. Uh, yeah. So just approach it as this is a real business. Let me treat it as a real business and operate as a real business and operate as an entrepreneur, as a real business owner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, you know, when somebody is starting out, like what kind of investment are they looking at mm-hmm. um, when they're starting out? Well, uh, the range is, can be quite wide. So for example, for myself, I set aside uh, approximately 1,200 or 1,200 USD. In those days, it was about 1,005 sing. Exchange rate was 1.22, I think, when I started. Uh, so I managed to, in the first 12 months, my uh, 1,200 US dollars after by the ninth month was generating about 15,000 in sales. Mm. So uh, you can start fairly small. I mean, compare that to opening a brick and mortar subway outlet, right? (laughs) 
of course, there are people who start with a lot more as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, you can start small or you can start big. I think it's more an issue of if you have the right understanding and are prudent and wise in the way that you deploy the funds in the kind of right, uh, having the right product research and knowing how to analyze, uh, then you'll be able to yeah, uh, do well. So talking about product research, you know, do you have any specific selection criteria or guidelines? Like a lot of, um, you know, the experts out there, they say your product should be small or don't do electronics or don't do products with a lot of moving parts. Do you have any guidelines? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I actually have quite extensive guidelines. And before I'll even go look for a supplier for a product, I put it to like uh, quite a number of, layers of filters and if anything doesn't pass those filters uh, i wouldn't even bother to look for a supplier so uh, with that uh, i often tell people in my class that uh, or who i coach that um, i have probably a close 75 percent uh and upwards kind of success rate like i'm pretty sure that the product is going to do well before i even start with um, sourcing for it. Uh, so, some of the criteria, for example, the basic ones, general ones, are yeah, I, I generally avoid things that uh, are hazardous, um, dangerous, uh, high liability, or have warranty issues. Because uh, I always say, like, I don't like to do electronics. It's not that I won't do them, but uh, generally I mi would minimize that because. For example, I'm not Samsung. I don't have a service center. So if my thing breaks down, uh, my only options are to provide a one-for-one -one replacement. Uh, also with um, certain types of products, like let's say apparel, uh, clothing, there's sizes. And uh, even if it's the right size, like somebody will order the thing and then it sort of doesn't suit their body shape or doesn't suit the, it just doesn't suit them. Uh, they try a shoe and then it doesn't, well, not that comfortable or something. Uh, so those kinds of products will generally have a higher return rate. I mean, it's not that you can't do them. Uh, by all means, do them. You just have to go in with your eyes open, uh, whichever product type that you do, uh, to realize, uh, to know what the pros and cons and different issues might be. Uh, in terms of size, yeah, it's very common everyone says because F. BA charges fees for warehousing and for last mile fulfillment, the shipping costs. So most people say, oh, do small and light uh, stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say that's much of, I don't go by that rule at all uh, because if you have a bigger or heavier product, but the selling price and the margin is higher, then that can easily offset any additional shipping cost. Uh, conversely, if you have a small product, and we're talking about Amazon specifically, uh, if you have a small product that's eh, very cheap, for example, uh, Amazon has a small and light program where the fees are lower for products that have a low selling price and are within their small and light weight dimensions and dimensions. Mm. So if you actually wanted to go through all my filters, it would probably take, uh, based, based on actually having coached various people and companies, probably takes about six hours <laughs> <laughs> okay. to go through the details. Yep. 
Cool. So, you know, there are different models for e-commerce, of course. There's uh, retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, drop shipping, private label. Yep. So uh, when people are just starting out, you know, what should they start with? And especially if they're in Asia, um, yep. you know, some of them are not an option, like retail arbitrage may not be an option if you're in Asia. So what, what should they start with? Uh for the most part now, I'd recommend people to focus on uh, creating your own brand, uh, commonly known as private labeling. And the reason for that is because, uh, again, specifically, if you're referring to selling on Amazon uh, and beyond, uh, Amazon is increasingly giving more and more uh, power to brand owners. Uh, so about one or about one and a half years or so ago, Amazon sort of combined their, uh, if people are aware, they, they had a vendor central and then a seller central. So seller central is for third-party sellers who sell on Amazon's marketplace. Uh, and vendor central is where Amazon is the direct retailer and they would buy from people, uh, suppliers at wholesale price, and then they would retail it themselves. About a year or so ago, Amazon combined these two departments and then they essentially removed the one senior vice president and now they have one senior vice president overseeing both uh, divisions. And it's been very obvious to me as uh, I've observed how things have developed in the one last uh, 18 months or so that Amazon is giving a lot more power. They're rolling out more and more initiatives to empower third-party sellers, mm. uh, especially brand owners. Uh, so I would say, uh, even for someone starting out, start straight off with having a brand in mind. Uh, because in the long run, uh, well, if you're not here to do a get-rich-quick scheme or fly-by-night shooting star kind of business, and then uh, if you want a real sustainable long-term business, then I would say start straight off with building something with brand value. Um, I do want to mention something about drop shipping because uh, this is an often uh, dangled carrot by a lot of the scammy gurus. Uh, You can do drop shipping legitimately, but many of the scammy gurus, as I often call them, uh, um, teach uh, what Amazon and eBay would consider illegitimate dropshipping. Mm. Uh, meaning you list something on Amazon or eBay, for example, and uh, you don't actually have the product. You don't work with any manufacturer or supplier. Uh, all you do is when somebody orders, either manually or you have a program that syncs uh, with AliExpress, uh, you order from, for example, AliExpress as a consumer and all you do is input the Amazon customer's shipping address. Mm. So that is something considered illegitimate drop shipping by both Amazon and eBay. They actually have it specifically in their policies that the moment you're caught doing that, you will be suspended. Uh, most likely, you'll be blacklisted like for life. Like Amazon will record your... Name, your email address, your IP address, your bank account details, your ID number, your passport number, everything about you will be blacklisted uh, because you don't, um, yeah, you're just buying as a consumer and putting somebody else's address. So you provide no product. You have no control over product quality. You have no control over the shipping process. 
you have no control over customer service, uh, which is why it's a violation of their policies. Okay, interesting. So private label is the way to go, even if you're just starting out. So should people start uh, selling on Amazon or should they also create their own website you know, at the same time? Ah, great question. Uh, I have my own website, um, but I would say the the long term, mid to long term goal is to have multiple income streams and not have all your eggs in one basket. However, when you start out, uh, I would strongly advise starting um, with one platform first, because especially if you are solopreneur kind of uh, situation, right? If you try to um, do too many things at a time, you'll end up not doing anything well uh, most of the time. Uh, so, for example, um, if you want to do a private label, and again, um, maybe just um, to clarify, I think like uh, your question, private label specifically, I think is a good starting place for people based out, for example, if you want to sell into the US on Amazon. If you're outside the US, uh, it's going to be hard, like you say, to do RA, etc. It's even hard to do online arbitrage now because um, credit cards don't work on a lot of the sites if it's not a US credit card. So that's why I start with private label. Uh, but once when you launch, focus on one place, become really good at it. Uh, so my personal experience is when I started selling on Amazon, uh, because Amazon has the customer base mm. and Amazon provides the, the complete logistic solution to store or warehouse and then also to fulfill the orders, meaning to ship and deliver the, each order to American customers. Uh, what I did was I focused on that. After my profits from Amazon had replaced my previous income, uh, my previous salary, at that point then uh, is when I considered, okay, let me now develop my own website off Amazon. Um, and then essentially for the next one or two years, uh, my Amazon sales were just maintaining because I didn't focus on it at all much. Uh, but I focused on building my own website uh, to the point that it started ranking in Singapore, um, like number one, two, three, four, five on Google search for all the related important keywords. Like if people are searching for um, that kind of product or solution to a certain skin problem, then our website would occupy like all top five positions on Google uh, when people searched. Uh, and then when that website then started generating a profit that also had was equivalent to my previous salary, then I said, okay, then now let's look at another platform, let's say a Q10 or Lazada or something. And, uh, so then every income stream, uh, it's like a different sales channel. And if Amazon were to suspend my account, uh, for example, and it took me like, I don't know, two weeks or two months to get it reinstated, uh, then I have the other income streams. Um, so that provides diversification. Correct. So currently, what percentage of your sales come from Amazon versus your own website? Yeah, I would probably estimate about 60-70% uh, come from Amazon uh, versus um, my 
own websites and um, we do also have some physical retail now uh, in five locations and uh, also on some other marketplaces like mentioned before like Lazada etc however the profit margin on Amazon would be a bit less than especially compared to let's say our own website Mm. yeah um, yeah, the cost for running our own website uh, much less I don't have to pay Amazon uh, commission or their referral fee Uh, and then we don't well I do have uh, right now I do actually pay rent I have a small warehouse office space um, in the Kalang area in Singapore. Previously, we were just operating out of our spare bedroom at home. <laughs> uh, but I got to the point where we had too many orders and we, our stock was getting too much where it became uh, no longer feasible to run it out of a spare bedroom. So do you fulfill the orders yourself from your website or do you work with, like, are there, you know, like 3PL logistic service providers in Singapore who can do the fulfillment? Yep, uh, good question. So, uh, let me see. We started doing our own website 2016. Uh, up till the end of 2018, we were doing fulfillment ourselves. I mean, we were happy when, you know, you get your first order on your own website and like, okay, you're happy to pack it, right? But when you wake up and then like, whoa, I have to pack, package like 20 orders. That's going to like burn my whole day. Yeah. Uh, then that's the point where you realize I can't be working in my business. I need to be working on my business. And so we started looking for a third-party logistics service. Uh, I'll be very honest. We approach, I'll not name any companies, but uh, we approach uh, quite a number of the last mile fulfillment companies in Singapore. We even uh, exhibited at last mile fulfillment at the Singapore Expo where all the fulfillment providers in the whole region and globally uh, were exhibiting as well. I uh, talked to a lot of them. Uh, none up at this point for last mile fulfillment services in Singapore, I have yet to find one that uh, I would be comfortable working with, honestly. And so what we instead did was we um, got our own little storage warehousing space and I actually hired someone to go in uh, to do all the packaging and fulfillment for us. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned you have your own website as well. I imagine that takes a lot of, um, you know, time and effort to, to rank and to get some traffic coming to that website. So you're at a very high level. What does it take to create and, and rank a website? Uh, I think it's the, uh, the same principles as uh, ranking a product in search results on Amazon. So uh, I always tell people fundamental to doing well on Amazon and on Google search, let's say, uh, same fundamental thing, uh, which is you have to rank on page one of search results. Mm-hmm. When a potential customer is searching for a solution or a product, uh, they type it into either Amazon search bar or Google search bar. Uh, in general, the principles to rank are similar. Mm, the search engines look for content. Of course, Amazon has other ranking factors, uh, but Google primarily looks for content. So if you know what people are searching for, uh, and then you are able on Google to provide content that 
answers people's queries, uh, then Google will start to see recognize your page as an authority if you have sufficient content, mm -hmm. good content. Uh, I don't do any black hat tactics or gray hat uh, shady tactics, whether on Amazon search or Google search. I just base it on sound fundamentals. So like for Google, I have like 17 point checklist. Okay. Uh, and essentially, uh, when I started building out this checklist and then I started to build my website uh, and check off each point, by the time I met like 10 of the criteria, uh, within three months, our, paid, our website was from nothing to like top five results on Google for like everything. Wow. Let's talk about sourcing products now. So um, how do you advise uh, sellers to source products? You know, do, do you advise them source online or do you also advise them to attend trade shows or maybe visit wholesale markets in China such as Iwu? I think both uh, strategies or methods uh, work. Uh, so for example, when I started out, I did uh, online. Um, like I say I started with a $1,200 budget. So with that, you're not going to like be going anywhere. <laughs> uh, well, it would be possible to go to EU, especially if you're based in Singapore. Uh, it's a $100 flight on Scoot to Hangzhou and then a one and a half hour drive. Or you could fly to Shanghai, but that's a lot more inconvenient. Uh, um, I think uh, there are ways to source online, uh, especially if you're starting with a small budget. Uh, just starting out. Uh, however, it's also valuable to visit different places. Uh, so like personally, I've gone to India to meet my uh, the people who work there and supply uh, one of our brands. Uh, I've also gone to China. Uh, but I didn't go initially. Like my first trip to source in China was maybe only four or five years after I started selling. Uh, and then when did I go to India? About three years after I started selling. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, both are doable, but for a new person, I think if you just go to, um, like for example, if you just went to a trade show or EU market or something like that, uh, you would be lost and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Unless you had some very, I would strongly recommend that you first have a whole short list of very specific products that you have done your keyword research for and that you're specifically looking for. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you'd probably be overwhelmed. Yeah, it's easy to get lost in the hundreds and thousands of, uh, you know, products mm -hmm. that are on display yeah. in, in yeah, absolutely. Now. Yeah. Also, there are a lot of, uh, you know, websites nowadays like 1688.com. Mm -hmm. I've uh, heard a lot of, uh, especially in Singapore, because those websites are in Chinese, so they're more accessible to sellers in Singapore and they're right. sourcing from those websites and maybe you know, yep. even bundling products uh, that they buy from those websites. So, of course, it's a bit dicey when you source uh, from those kinds of websites because you want to make sure that the products meet all of the uh, you know, certifications and standards, yep. So, uh, especially if you're selling them in, in the U.S. So there are certain product categories, I think, um, that can be sourced from those websites as well. Yeah, so, just go for simpler, like low risk products with yeah. no like liability issues. Yeah. Exactly.
don't limit yourself to sourcing from China only. Um, I always say, you know, we are now in a global marketplace so we can sell to the world. But on the flip side, you can also source from anywhere in the world. Uh, and uh, while China is good for certain things like manufactured goods that are mass produced in uh, factories kind of uh, products, uh, it's not the best place for everything. So some things are better sourced in the US, for example. Uh, if you, like, for example, if you saw something made in USA, you can proudly state that in your product title, for example. Uh, and you can charge a premium price for it because people want to pay, are happy to pay more for a made-in-US product, especially if they're an American consumer. Uh, similarly, you can source different things from Australia. Or, for example, uh, India is a huge uh, place where you can source from as well. And uh, yeah, I think you have an upcoming trip to India, right? Yeah, so it's an India sourcing trip uh, and it's coming up in October. And there is just so much interest nowadays in sourcing from alternative markets. You know, like you said, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of Amazon sellers are sourcing from China. And then now there are people who are looking for uh, different sources to maybe you know differentiate their products mm-hmm. on Amazon and and source more unique and creative products and um, also because of the import tariffs that have been imposed on China made products that has also encouraged people to look outside. So you know, what has your experience been sourcing from India? Because you mentioned you sourced <laughs> one product from India. <laughs> now that we're on the topic, let's talk a little bit about it. <laughs> okay, so uh, well. Uh... I think my situation maybe is a bit unique. So uh, I actually have a friend. She's uh, actually from Singapore. Her husband is Indian from India. Um, but what happened was, um, so I work with them uh, and they produce products for us. Uh, they actually rescue women from sex trafficking in the red light district. Uh, and then they provide them with an employable uh, employability so that they can make a living because um, unfortunately, a lot of NGOs, they might rescue the girls out, but then six months later, they'll go back to prostitution again because that's the only skill you know if you are illiterate because you've been kidnapped when you were eight or something. Um, uh, so I have no, not much problem with in terms of communicating with the supplier in that sense, like we are on WhatsApp. Uh, but uh, I face some challenges with shipping. Uh, for example, one of our shipments was delayed almost six months. I think it was stuck in <laughs> the seaport in Calcutta because uh, a num- couple of reasons. Like the the uh, the inspector, the previous like port inspector who has to stamp the clearance, uh, he wanted some like uh, mm. payment, uh, and then he left. He was posted somewhere else, and then there was no inspector that came in for like a couple of months. Wow. Uh, so then his assistant wanted the the paint uh, the bribe uh, and then the new inspector finally came uh, and then my friend uh, who uh, well I didn't want to pay the bribe uh, so uh, my friend went to meet the new inspector after the delay and then when the new inspector found out that that was the situation he was actually on our side and he was really mad he was why is this happening? We are supposed to be a nation because my friend has a registered small business social enterprise in India, right? Which is employing like, uh, I don't know, uh, close to 20 rescued women now. Uh, He was like, if we want to develop our economy, then how can we be doing this? And he stamped the thing immediately. Uh, 
That's good. Uh, so that was the challenge. Uh, that was one. The other challenge that we had also with shipping. So most of the challenges are with shipping for me. Yeah. Uh, was that uh, the first time we did a sea ocean shipment from India, we tried to save money. So my friend just uh, used, I don't know what, a freight forwarding company. Uh, and what happened was that when it got to the US, they have to hand over to a customs broker. And I use a very reliable customs broker in the US. But what happened was the documentation was not in order. Mm. Like the shipment number was all wrong. Uh, and then when we tried to contact the local freight forwarder from Calcutta, he was uncontactable for a few days. <laughs> uh, so those are some of the challenges we've faced. Uh, so I think it would be very helpful if we if you're sourcing from a um, sort of um, country like that if some of these service providers are in place who you know are reliable and trustworthy so maybe that's something uh, that you provide right yeah in fact contact. I'm already providing that. So I've got this uh, Facebook group that I've set up for uh, people who, who are interested in sourcing from India. And when I started working on this initiative about you know six months ago, I talked to some people who had already sourced from India, and this is exactly what they said. You know, they have problems with logistics. Uh, it's difficult to find suppliers. They don't know uh, you know who does the QC, and there's just not a lot of information available about how to how things work in India. So then what I did was I tried to identify uh, various service providers who mm -hmm. are familiar with Amazon FBA requirements. I mean, because uh, most, I mean, there are a lot of logistics providers that maybe serve, uh, you know, retailers or brands who are sourcing from India, but Amazon FBA sellers in particular, um, you know, it's a new and emerging a group of buyers sourcing from India. So there are not a lot of logistics companies that are familiar with that. So then I spoke to about, you know, like four or five different logistics companies. And then I shortlisted um, two of them. And then I have featured them in the Facebook group. And Great. I know that they have, they have warehouses in the US as well. So in case you want to split your shipments and, you know, send them to different oh. warehouses, they, they're able to do that as well. Uh, and then similarly, there are sourcing agents in the Facebook group that, that I've vetted and they work with e-commerce sellers and they do, you know, smaller orders as well. Because a lot of the sourcing agents, they don't want to work with you if you want to, if you're going to do only like 100 or 200 pieces, mm -hmm. it's not worth their time. Yep. But, you know, there are some sourcing agents who realize that, okay, this is an increasing or a growing buyer community and maybe they will start small, but if their products are successful, um, there is the possibility that they will quickly scale their business. So, you know, I've yep. got some service providers or agents who uh, cater to e-commerce uh, sellers in the Facebook group as well. Great. I think it's fantastic that, you know, uh, that you are doing that because I think that's a very valuable uh, service. Cool. Maybe you should come with us to India, Jason. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, always. I always uh, enjoy going to India. I go to India about once a year. Okay. And the food there is always, the Indian food in India is always like way better than Indian food in Singapore. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> I always gain a few kilos when I go to India. <laughs> yes, I understand. I'm the kind of person who can eat biryani like every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites too. <laughs> 
So what's next for you in, you know, in coming months? What plans do you have for your e-commerce business? Wow. Good question. <laughs> uh, so I guess, um, well, I just received uh, um, trademark registration approval from the U.S. Patent Trademark Office for our second trademark application. Oh, nice. So one of the things is to get approximately like 10 listings, uh, get their enhanced brand content done. Uh, so hopefully that will um, help to increase some of our sales conversions on Amazon. Uh, at the same time, we are also launching several new product lines, uh, both on Amazon and actually on our own website. Yeah, so that's for this, um, especially the Singapore marketplace. Uh, at the same time, uh, <laughs> like I said, uh, Amazon um, essentially approached me and asked if I would consider offering a consultancy service to businesses in Singapore because uh, they mentioned that they were not willing, they didn't want to work with any other uh, gurus in Singapore because everyone else was dodgy apparently. Uh, so that's something I'm considering. Uh, that would require definitely that I then not operate by myself. I would have to work with a team uh, to be able to provide uh, that kind of um, service. Yep, so those are some of the things in the pipeline. And maybe also um, build out our UK sales a bit more. Um, yeah, I also have an Amazon Europe seller account, but haven't really done much with it. Uh, probably sells like a few hundred pounds a month, but that's it. So if yeah, we put a bit more effort into that, then probably can scale that as well. Cool. Sounds exciting. So what mm -hmm. do your numbers currently look like? Are you doing, you know, six figures, seven figures overall in terms of revenue? Yeah, uh, we are doing, um, I would say, the upper half of six figures. Okay. Uh, more because I actually don't spend a lot of time on my business. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, probably for the whole of, 2017, I didn't even do like anything to grow it. Um, and earlier this year, right now, actually, uh, I'm sitting in Australia <laughs> doing this um, vid, uh, podcast. So the last few months <laughs> since the beginning, December 2018 is when we decided, okay, my, well, my daughter came over to study uh, in uni. Mm -hmm. So we thought, okay, why not we just all go over as a family? <laughs> Oh, so I've been nice. spending, uh, so we were more busy relocating <laughs> in the last six months than sort of running or looking at growing the business. Uh, but now that things are more or less um, in some kind of flow, uh, then yeah, we can look at um, scaling that again. Um, one of the big areas I think would be I do have a lot of people approach me to ask both businesses and individuals like can you uh, businesses typically would uh, consultancy role or can you manage our Amazon account can you help us get onto Amazon and then essentially manage our account uh, then for individuals like can you teach us how to do this um, 
I do it very ad hoc and sporadic because training is not my full-time business. My full-time business is running my retail business. <laughs> um, but because of my teaching background, I like to equip and empower people. Um, when I used to be a high school teacher, I taught in a lower-income neighborhood where 70% of our students came from low-income families. So that's, And then, of course, I quit that to earn $800 a month doing relief work <laughs> in Sri Lanka. So it's always in my DNA to help people. Uh, not so much about, I'm, I don't do this to be a millionaire. Uh, yeah, I do this to feed my family and change the world, I always say. Oh. Uh, so uh, pro- continuing, I think, uh, to provide training for people. And I do it generally much lower cost than anybody out there. Uh, at essentially Singapore tuition class rates. Uh, and I always do it in a very small group. I know a lot of people are charging thousands of dollars for like 100 or 200 attendees at a time. And then they provide zero follow-up support. What I try to do is I keep every class small and I do it once in a while. Uh, so like 15 at a time. Uh, and I provide one-to-one direct access to me. So I do Skype consultations following up with people like, analyzing their products, validating whether, yes, this is a good idea. Why? How do you proceed? How do you then, uh, then helping them with um, listing the product, optimizing, and then running, doing the marketing. And the reason I do that is I'm trying to teach people how to fish. Mm. If I can walk them through the process of learning how to identify what sells, where there's demand and low supply, and then helping them to get a product off the ground, they would have essentially learned how to fish. And then from there, it's the sky's the limit kind of thing. And then they can go and take off on their own. Mm, correct. Yep. So your trainings are mostly in-person workshops. Is that correct? Yes. So small groups, typically about 15, maximum uh, 20, uh, over two full days. And then I do um, one-to-one Skype consultations uh, with the people who attend after that to help them as they put into application what they learn over the two days. Okay. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good reviews about, uh, you know, your, your trainings and I've, I've talked to many people who've taken your course and they are now, you know, very successful at Amazon. So yeah, I think you're doing a, a really good job with, with the course and empowering people really to, you know, go do their own businesses. So this has been really good, uh, Jason. You've given us so much, uh, you know, good information and uh, a lot of value, especially for new sellers. So um, how can people reach you? Oh, okay. The easiest way to reach me, two avenues. One is to go to my blog and then there's a contact form there that comes straight to my personal inbox. Uh, there is also a uh, messenger button so that will come straight to my phone. Uh, I set it up as uh, you send it to my page and because I'm sort of a laid back, relaxed kind of personality, I force myself to, uh, because it's uh, sent to my page, then there's Facebook performance metrics, right? Now you have to answer within how many minutes or 24 hours as you get dinged. Uh, <laughs> so I, I personally respond to everybody's message. Uh, I try as much as possible within 24 hours usually it's within a few minutes or within a couple of hours unless i'm traveling or in some full day meeting Mm. uh so 
website has the links for that. The other way is uh, if you go into Facebook, we have a very active like Facebook group in Singapore, uh, which I started in 2014. Uh, you, or, uh, it's sort of like a spin-off from Jim Cockrum's My Silent Team, mm. which has 50,000 members. Yeah. Uh, and then a few of us in those days in 2013 who were members of the Proven Amazon course My Silent Team, uh, we met up in Singapore at Cafe Cartel, which has gone bust. Uh, I think like 10 of us met up at Cafe Cartel back then. And then we started this Facebook group. So we called it My Silent Team SG. Mm. Uh, so if you search that on Facebook, uh, just apply to join. But make sure you answer the questions because there's a few hundred like spammy people who apply to join and they don't answer them. If you don't answer the questions, I'll treat you as a spammer <laughs> and not approve your join request. Yep. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. This has been really incredible. And I really look forward to having you on the podcast more often. And today we covered a lot of topics and uh, we were kind of broad, you know, for most of the topics. And uh, this information will definitely be useful for people who are just starting out. And then I think in future podcast episodes, you know, we can dive deeper into specific topics and um, uh, hopefully offer a lot of value to e-commerce sellers in Singapore and in other countries in Asia. So thank you so much for your time. And I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye.